you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Put my displays on night shift because uh, otherwise there's too much warmth and I look more bleached yeah, than I want to. You don't want Lithuanians to look warm. Exactly that. The fact that we come from near the Arctic Circle should not count against us in the, right. uh, the melanin contest. So uh, let's see, clear that. And as usual, I'm trying to shut down anything that might be otherwise taking away from, uh, let's yeah. see, no, we don't need windows open, nor my Parallels desktop. Is... There's been a whole bunch of activity going on there. As you know, Windows 10 is going to Windows 11, and I'm on the Windows 10 Insider Pro version that was the first one to support the M1 Mac, you know, so actually getting off of Intel and going with the M1 and Windows, that is, um, Parallels being able to adjust for Windows, and I'm not sure what part each of them did to make the emulation all work, and yet, and I'm not sure, you know, it wasn't done over a long weekend. I'm sure that the news <laughs> of the M1 chip, the specs for it and so forth, has been out for a long time, yeah, and yeah. yet what a massive change to handle and elegantly, like my the first time I used it, it mostly worked and only certain things glitched. And now, let's see, it's you know, eight months It's been since I've got the thing. And everything is smooth now. There's no longer nice. the usual overnight freezes <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, Well, I'm curious what's going to happen with like the M1 and other Macs and Parallels and VMware when Windows right. 11 comes out. Because uh, from my understanding, there is like, basically building code that looks for the hardware chips for some of the security. So and, I agree. And, and then if they say, well, you know, we'll put code in there. So if you're on an emulator or VMware, it'll detect a, a fake code thing. Well, if they put that code in to detect, then someone's going to hack it. And why can't a, a bad guy say, I can yeah. look like uh, an emulator. Exactly. So, so it is, that's a, it's a very tricky thing nowadays when, all the world, if you will, was Intel. You know what I mean? And it's kind of funny. Already, that's not true. The incredible growth of portable devices, most of them on ARM chips and stuff like that, has already made that there's a whole another realm that people had to make sure they knew how to get close enough to the metal to make use of the security features that Apple and Google and Samsung, whoever the big providers are of phones and tablets and so forth. And, and yet, that's kind of funny. One of the fascinating courses that I took in, in my, my CS degree at U of I was um, about, like, machine coding. You know what I mean? How, how do you really create the code that runs um, – When what, what do you translate with a compiler things into? What's the instruction set and the difference between RISC and CISC? And, and actually, that was – U of I didn't have that. That was introduced by – when they first started to look into, is it smarter to have a complex instruction set that does a whole bunch of stuff in a single instruction, or if you have a reduced instruction set, but it does it really, really fast that you can simulate, you know, what's a way to do multiplication to build in a multiplication command or to do 10 of those add commands really quickly. And they started to see for different operations, it really was better to create the idiot savant chip instead of the complex human chip. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. And, and I was fascinated with that kind of stuff, but I never pursued it. I really thought it was so cool to try to understand, you know, when you're down to ones and zeros, when you're on the chip and all you're doing is moving things in and out of registers and, and listening at ports and stuff like that. And even that is, um, you know, levels of abstraction. Like, what's the levels of abstraction? Usually they talk about there's a seven-layer thing for communications. But even, of course, the minute you get away from the metal, how do you start making it that I'm going to tell this machine to do a very precise thing, but it's not how humans think. We're not necessarily binary. We are it. What's the levels of abstraction that you build in so that you keep as much speed while making it so that it's like readable and understandable to a human being? And that trade-off is just the coolest thing in the world to try to really... What? be silicon be, right. be you know what i mean a different form of life that doesn't have 10 fingers it has two and i i oversimplified but for a fact <laughs> you know what i mean because it's yeah. really it was a cool thing my mind felt continually challenged and exhilarated when i solved something that was like wow there's tons of things that could have gone wrong there and yet i was able to put myself into that frame of mind to be you know i need to worry about stack overflow i need to worry about What's the limitations of the architecture that I'm on and how to account for all the, like so much. I know I'm just babbling, but it's not really babbling because it really is everything we've talked a little bit about. Um, writing code with any language is pretty easy. If you, if you know any kind of code at all, the difficult part is all the error handling, all the memory management, all the things that make it bulletproof that say, no matter what situation I find myself on, no matter where I'm installed, I'm still going to be okay. And, that close to the metal, you, you're always thinking about that, that, you know, how do I portray a number? And if that number only has a certain number of bits, then how big can it get? And if it's bigger than that, then what do I do? And, and that whole idea of starting to use um, not only binary, but how do I portray complex numbers? You know what I mean? Uh, where it's, it's to the power of 10 and you start thinking logarithmically and just that transition of where do I test? to see if I have that possibility of going over to the real world. It's whether you went over in your bank account or something like that. But on the machine, it really is, I've got a 17-bit string, and all I can handle is 16, but I can't break. What do I do? Right. It's cool. It's, <laughs> it's like stepping outside of reality. You know, my reality is 16. Oh, I live I'm just in, in a boundary condition of the universe, and what do I do to handle that elegantly? Right. Anyway, <laughs> see, I've I've never been as fascinated and drawn to that low level, getting to the hardware and the chip programming, uh, you know, because I could have joined Linux, you know, long ago and been a part of that whole thing, you know, because right. that's or you know, but I've always been more uh, okay. Here's everything created I need. Now I'm going to do this other stuff, like all the little projects I'm working on now uh, are all much more high level user. Yes. interface i guess it's more uh business to consumer rather than business to business uh, i hear you you know it's just been and, and, where i've been more yeah and honestly so by 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 evidence that's exactly where i've been knowing that i still that i really liked that i've never been the driver writer i've never been the guy that did chip design and so forth as much as that fascinated me what really fascinated me was like the real world problems of how do i write a database that lets me keep track of my comic books how do I keep track of my expenses and how do I, you know, um, those kinds of things that really kind of require a high level language because you don't want to spend all your time in the, the deep weeds. You want to just say, I made a, a Star Trek game and it works pretty well. 
And I didn't have to worry about how the machine did that, right. how the machine portrayed a pixel at different intensities. It, 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 I, I liked getting up to that level of abstraction of it's human. And, um, and in fact, every, like, I don't know, being able to drop down into that is very powerful, but there's a little part of me that always says, I shouldn't have to be in DOS. This should always be in Windows. I shouldn't have, you know what I mean? Like anytime you had to drop back and actually do like disk level commands because you knew them and that was the best way to do it, yeah. it still was, man, somebody needs to write the GUI on top of this so that nobody have, ever has to worry about doing an FSCK command again or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's the, a... <laughs> the one... Uh, company I worked for, uh, they mm -hmm. created their own point of sale system. And this was in the NT4 days. And okay. it was running with NT4. And it was a computer that, but what we basically did was stripped out the GUI windows and ran everything from the core DOS and everything else. So right. the, I, I was level four tech support, essentially, and, and uh, roll it out for new customers. But we worked, I mean, our offices were right next to the programmers and right. these guys were having to write custom new uh drivers for some of the equipment as it came out and changed and we had to create batch files which is very high level simple programming but right. these batch files you had to be able to use them because you couldn't use a mouse in windows and that's what windows was trying to push you towards so it was a lot of but uh that's a, as close as I've come to getting that low level. Yeah. If anything, just going through those transitions, you know, I started off on Apple and went to PCs with DOS and that kind of stuff and, and having used basic and then gone to better, if you will, perform based languages instead of just drop through coding. And it, every one of those things has given me appreciation for that's why we did better. You know what I mean? When you had strong versus weekly type variables or when you had um, how to, how to create an array, how to create a data structure instead of a single variable. Every one of those things nowadays, it's just that's so elemental that it, it's not a breakthrough, of course. But to see that transition, you know, one of my, hey, I'm, I'm the, the hoary old programmer that really knows how to do all that kind of stuff. doesn't mean that I want to, but I sure have an appreciation for, right. man, you can't, you can't have Oracle without having done all the work to get to what is a relational database. And that there <laughs> right. were network and, you know what I mean, uh, other types of databases, hierarchical until you got to relational. and how do you keep speeding? Like I worked with a program called fourth dimension. I think I mentioned when I did Gambit, it was a very powerful database that had a big programming language. And one of the things that it did to speed itself up was all the overhead of how you do databases. Well, they still had like bit level table handling so that it all went into memory and you did your quick queries, your search and sources and that kind of stuff. And then it kind of came back out and said, and here's your result. And so they still had to acknowledge that, Keeping at that abstract level when you're trying to get speed, that isn't the way to go. How do we hide that from most of the users, have that all happen in the background? If we're going to have multi-users, then how do we do it that that happens, but they don't collide? Because now that we're down at that level of we're talking to the machine, we have to put in all the things about interrupts and conflict avoidance, if you will. So it, I, as much as I love knowing that stuff, I'm happy to be where am I, where am I at my most productive? And, and, you know, as you know, we have our, Back and forth about Macs and Windows. Early on in my Mac world, it was like, I get it why you want to go with Windows. It's the 90% solution, much more right. hardware, software, et cetera, et cetera. But what I get is a 30% productivity boost. And if I'm willing to go with a little more rarefied atmosphere, a little harder to get stuff, 
but I, as a consultant, get that incredible edge on you. I get things done faster, cleaner, more presentable, more maintainable. I really like the leverage that I got out of um, that stuff. And, and maybe, you know, with browsers, all that kind of compressed back down, there isn't a substantial uh, noticeable difference in browser speed, browser productivity, if you will. And, and they tout that, you know, hey, Safari's yeah. the fastest, or so is Chrome, or so is Google. Now, and maybe that's another good thing that we've seen happen in our lives, it isn't only about speed. Speed has always mattered, but now it matters about security in the way that we just talked yes. about. You know, <laughs> getting yes. to a fast solution, but you just open the kimono to the whole world, that ain't the way to go. Right. <laughs> and and so. so real quick comment from that, though, the and the one thing Max had problems with and is totally changing is – you could go with Max with, like you said, just those couple programs, but you knew everything worked well. You know, we've talked about that. There, that's the pros and cons of each way they did it. But you didn't have the gaming. If you wanted the gaming, Max was not the way to go. That's totally changing now, you know, and with right. the consoles and everything. But back to that security, uh, I know a lot of people are getting their feathers ruffled with Microsoft because they're saying you have to have these chips in the system. It will not run without those. and People are getting all that, blah, blah. but honestly, folks, you cannot have the most secure system with just software-based security. You've got to have hardware security of some sort. Yeah. It's funny. You know, there's so many analogies to the real world here by that meaning, <laughs> like, like I said, I've been in my career is like 50 years long now. You know, I started coding when I was a teen um, to, to, to have gotten to a place where that's your happy place. And then you decide that, you know, there's a great quote about, uh, whatever was in the world when you were born any, and uh, up till 30, then that's like, well, that's just natural progression. And then anything that's newer than that is, well, that's unnatural. That's the devil's <laughs> You know what I mean? And I, and I use those, those ridiculous terms, but people have that. They'll still tell you that their favorite coding language is like PL1 and PLC. Oh, my like, God. I, I get it. But boy, that's long ago. That's left behind. It isn't as good. Objectively, it might be that that code flows out of your fingertips, but the support the, the ability to, all of that is different, and yet people kind of get stuck in their ruts. Even people who would declare themselves to be a futurist that said, I was early on in computers because I cared about having the state of the art. And then you find out that their state of the art kind of froze at some point. I save but everything I to real real learning new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, music is not the same as technology as the years progress. <laughs> well, and, and, and just that, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, we often share posts about, you know, really, like, I love lots of 70s music. But I like lots of 80s and 90s and thousands. And it might be that maybe because my genre, prog rock, transcends a lot of that. It's always been on the outside. And so it hasn't had to compete with the best of pop and the best of rap and the best of grunge and whatever else it might be. And it might be that saying the best of all those people automatically kind of wins because what could be the best about grunge? You know what I mean? Doesn't it all sound the same? Well, no, there is still good in that. Yeah. Prague has always been like kind of pushing the envelope, kind of discordant, kind of just too much going on, not mainstream. And that enables it to step outside of time in a lot of ways. You know, even in that, those circles, there's, you know, people who like the old sound. I want art rock, symphonic rock, like Renaissance did, like ELP did. And there's others, like Tool is much more experimental and much more about rhythm than melody. And, and I, there's I'm sweeping statements, but it, I like so many of those experimental things because as much as I like that old style, I don't need a retread. I don't want someone that sounds <laughs> kind of like General Giant, but isn't General Giant. I want somebody that still surprises me. You know what I mean? Yeah, that right. they're 
sometimes it's a matter of instruments, right? When you hear a, a different synthesizers that don't sound like anything old we had, it's it's not, not in the lines of auto-tune where it's like, oh, that's actually a little bit unsettling. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you like how a human voice sounds, but hearing a Chapman stick uh, the first time on a, from a band called Kitty Hawk, and it was like, well, that's not really a bass, but it's not really guitar, and they're tapping but plucking, and and what's going on there? Yeah. And here, I, I, I liked that sound enough that I actually sought out Kitty Hawk and Stanley Jordan, and then Tony Levin, working with Peter Gabriel and King Crimson, yeah. much, I don't know if the word popularized it, but he put it out there so that a lot of people could hear it without knowing what was going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. So, that. It, it, I, I know we're geeking it up here, but I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it's the, the music, you know, totally uh, getting to our music subject now, because, you know, it's been three minutes, so let's change subjects. Right, um, right. <laughs> but it's so funny because the kids, I, I mean, you know, my kids, I've got kids that are in their teens still uh, and just early 20s. Our music tastes are so different, but it's so funny that, you hear the the TikTok memes and all this, and they're using the music we always listen to, not the right. modern stuff. That's and, become and, sampling material as opposed yes. to playing material, yeah. right? And, you know, <laughs> maybe we we throw around T-shirts and stuff that we need to figure out something, to, some way to say, you know, oh, today's music, yeah, it was based on this stuff that I liked, and you know that it built right. on that. Which then again, you can get the old blues guys and stuff saying, yeah, well, your stuff was built off of ours. You Absolutely, know? <laughs> and, and honestly, Zeppelin and the Stones, everybody will volunteer. I didn't come up with anything new. I listened to a lot of Lightning Hopkins and Holland Wolf and everything. And I just, can I Britishize this? Can I, you know, take it yeah. out of the, the Delta and, and into modern radio, if you will? And, and, and everybody those, does that. those <laughs> artists, you know, Zeppelin, Stones and all that, they flat out said, this is Muddy Waters. This is Holland Wolf. We, we, right. we, we covered this. We, it's their sound. We took this from them. And then you get Vanilla Ice. Oh, no, that was my original uh, thing that is not under press. Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I just this weekend, I listened to a whole bunch of like traditional American music by that meaning. I listened to, you know, there's people are collecting uh, Appalachian, Appalachian uh, songs before the people who make them are dying out. And, and either they let the originals sing them or they have, you know, groups of people who appreciate that music. And so I, I heard Bree Springsteen do the Seeger sessions. You know, Pete Seeger was around in like the early part of the 20th century, not the 21st. And yet, some of those things are in the Great American Songbook, you know, We Shall Overcome, or American Beautiful, and that kind of stuff. But hearing his, it's the, the modern take is there, because there's slightly different instrumentation, and he might, uh, sometimes he orchestrates it, sometimes he just strips it down to him and a guitar. But those songs, if you will, they have incredible staying power, because they're beautiful. They're perfectly wrought. The melody is there. The, the meme of it, of how it gets in your head, and you hum the melody, and you sing it, you know, they're easy to learn, if you will. And and so that kind of thing where people maybe in the world of folk, absolutely that's been built on itself because there's an incredible oral tradition besides a recording tradition. And just how did Steve Goodman learn his songs? How did John Prine? How did when I when I used to go to um, I, I love going to folk clubs in Chicago and almost always during the thing, it wasn't just what he had latest on the, the red pajama records. I think it was red pajamas, right? But it was a little section of. Here's things that I learned, like by from uh, being on the Carney circuit. These yeah. are the things that folk singers, as they travel the country, they they did these on the vaudeville stages. They did these kind of 
these are the the songs that are in their blood. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. and so many of them. And and like I don't know, we've made fun of some of them, like Rock and Robin or something like that. But when you hear people do that song like authentically instead of semi ironically, almost mockingly, it's great energy. It's there's just <laughs> I I think that. Uh, I like, I, I have a friend uh, that, so a whole bunch of stuff going on here. Um, there's a guy named um, Paravonian, John Paravonian, I think, that has a song about how um, there's a riff that you hear in every song that's the, uh, and why am I missing his name now? Pachelbel's Bell's Canon. It's, it's, you know, this, this series of notes. And that he mocks it because... He was the cellist that just had to do these notes, like eight notes over and over again, something like 52 times because he counted. <laughs> and but when he says, here it is in Blues Traveler, here it is in Van Halen, here it is that people, if they don't do it recognizably, once you know to listen for it, oh, my God, the, yeah. the thievery. Admit, let's call it the homage. Let's call it the incorporation of the old into the new. Some things are so perfect for being able to hang a 4-4 rock song on that they've been used hundreds of times, yeah, not yeah. three, you know, so well, he, <laughs> doesn't, in D. <laughs> he doesn't have anything to complain about compared to the uh, guitarist from Survivor playing Eye of the Tiger. Or or uh, what's the, the uh, Edge of 17, um, what's her name, uh, female singer? Stevie Nicks. And that's, it is funny. I think who's on, who's the guitar on there? Maybe Wadi Wachtel or something like that. Yeah. And he's got like the wah-wah pedal going, but it's still, how do you get through that song without just starting to pull your hair out from, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm kind of metronoming it My here. My arm's going to fall asleep. You know? Right. And so it's funny because this weekend on our trip, I put a lot of music on my Kindle and I just started put it on random. I, I mean, shuffle. like exactly. 2,700 yeah. songs, put it on random. It's just right. very, so Garth Brooks comes up, Weird Al comes up, uh, Miles Davis came up, uh, uh, John Williams came up, and Gina's looking at me going, can't you just like stick with one thing? And I'm like, no. See, some I, people I really can't. hate that. They want to yeah. hear, they want to get on that train and ride the ride and get off at the end instead of hopping from car to car, if you will, right. while the train's moving. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I, I must admit. I'm Go less ahead. of a trouble. I hardly ever shuffle. Shuffle. I yeah. really do tend to put on the albums. entire album. And in fact, I've never even been a singles guy. I tend to like albums, and I'm often when I have it that something is missing, they they skip a song because it it, it got well, Spotify does right yeah. away somehow. It's like, well, wait a minute, that's not what comes next. Lonely <laughs> Wind comes next. Where's my Kansas album? Don't take that away from right. me. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I go back and forth. Sometimes I do the mix up and shuffle. Sometimes I'm like, I want a whole album. And, and then yeah. I'll even like, man, put that album on repeat and just, oh, look, it's two days later. I should change my music. <laughs> so here's a little fun music fact I learned over the weekend. One sure. of the speakers. So uh, long story short, he was going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and they speak okay. Swahili uh, in that area. Yeah. And he actually knew some Swahili because he took it in college. And the reason he took it wow, in college. Wow, what college has that course? That's yeah, very and cool. I, yeah. I, gotta, <laughs> I forget the college. I should find yeah. out. But he tried like French, but his name is Bellinger. 
And the French teacher's like, well, that should be Belanger. And he's like, well, you know, originally we were French, but now it's been Americanized for like five generations. And the French teacher said, well, it doesn't matter. You should automatically know French and failed him just because he couldn't speak French already because of his last name. So, oh, man. Okay. That, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so he's like, okay, I got to change. And he talked to the guidance counselor at the college, said, what? would you recommend? And they said, Oh, you would probably really like the Swahili teacher. He's like, really Swahili. <laughs> when am I ever going to use Swahili? His mom said, right. don't take Swahili. You'll never use it. He said, then I got to Mount Kilimanjaro. Mic drop. <laughs> That's <laughs> so anyway, hilarious. <laughs> he, he, this teacher turns out was one of the original members of Shanana that after they got big and they went on tour, he felt it was just not the right thing for him. And he like did a mission in the, that area of Africa and learned okay. Swahili. And now he's a professor teaching it at this college this guy went at. That's so very cool. How cool is that? So yeah. he told us, he taught us a few words, which I don't remember much of, but the one he taught us, have you ever seen a Jamba juice around? Yeah. Okay. What does Jamba mean? They, he said these people would never go there because in Swahili, Jamba means fart. So it's fart juice. <laughs> I I do love those kinds of things. You know, at when I know I remember long ago hearing the reason that the Nova, the Chevy Nova, wasn't selling because it doesn't go exactly. So right. you know I mean? and we're so clumsy in our American Western etc. that we don't anticipate that all the time. And so we've had, I'm sure, and of course, there's words in other languages that whenever you hear about you know a German family named Fuchs. It's yeah. like fucker as a, you know, no, right. that was a it's, it's kind of funny to just have, I think I'm sure there's a term for that. The sound alike that is um, quite different in meaning yes. language to language. You know what I mean? <laughs> We've got a restaurant down here. It's pho, P-H-O, okay. uh, King, K-I-N-G, Vietnamese fusion. Well, when you say it, it's folking Vietnamese. Folking, exactly. <laughs> and you gotta wonder, did they really do it on purpose or did they not know? But it's in Kent, so it's right with the college town. And that's the type of thing when I was a college kid, I would be like, Oh, I'm eating there every day. <laughs> exactly that. You know, if they're if they're gonna be so bold, I'm with them on this, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um so you've been wanting to talk about Sin City for a couple weeks oh. now. Uh so you know, let's not pass it up. Let's let's hit on this. Honestly. So some of my favorite stuff of all time. I mean, uh, you know, Frank Miller kind of made his bones on Daredevil and and with, of course, the Dark Knight Returns and stuff like that. But his, I don't know if you call it, his very um, passion project uh, that he, he very much didn't start with any characters from any other Marvel or DC universe, but did it himself. It's, they're so fantastically done. The characters are all distinct in, in their personalities, in the drawing of them. The fact that it's all black and white and occasionally spot color, red, but it's in red. defiance of what you think of a comic book. That it, that to get that level of detail, that level of um, articulation and movement and so forth, but having it only be 2D, if you will, instead of the whole palette of colors. I know I'm mixing my metaphors there. He just does fantastic things in that stylized way. And it's, you know, most of them are what you call film noir, if you will, comic noir. Yeah. There's, it, like, there's nobody good in these. They all have sordid paths. They often have other city. agendas than being a hero. You know what I mean? Sometimes they end up doing heroic things because who they're going after is an even worse bad guy. Um, and and I that's kind of like, if you will, Pulp Fiction, the movie had that of like, well, you think that, you know, some people are really bad. Oh, you know, um, 
and and then you you find out about well these are the guys that like have the geek in a cage and they're gonna like you know what I mean that's really evil and there's like if you will and he's got great things about if you if you live in a city where the cops themselves are complicit you know what I mean that they're not really a force for good that and the, so is the government and so is the church and everything else it's a very if you will bleak view of the world but in that he finds justice and he finds yeah. um like the good guys often win even if the price they pay is sometimes they get killed sometimes there's collateral damage but and the relationships are what can you snatch out of this terrible world how do you find love how do you find even the ability to trust in this terrible world and, but and and the canon as he builds them I, i've been often as opposed to rereading my comic books because they're boxed away and I can't always get to exactly what I want quickly, it's easy to go to the library and, oh, gosh, they have all seven of the A Dame to Kill for nice. and The Big Fat Kill and all kind of stuff in a row. And sometimes also, as I think I've mentioned, it uh, when you read them serially as they come out, I like having the time in between to think of, okay, what's going to happen next and the build up and, and kind of the sweetness of not just uh, gorging yourself on it, but having said that, this reading them all the way through. Like, I think I read maybe one or two things in between as a palate cleanser, but I really did the Sin City immersion. And they're just so good. They're they're well-written. They're minimalist. Like, he gets mm -hmm. so much out of each panel and each word. And he, in, he, he loves, he doesn't insult the reader's intelligence. He leaves things right. amb ambiguous so that when it comes out to not even the mystery revealed, but just a little while later, it'll be like, Oh, that's what was going on there. Oh, that's who that guy is. And the fact that he doesn't have the little panel that says, in the meanwhile, Absolutely. you know, Superboy was, <laughs> they're very, they're very satisfying in that way. Kind of like, you know, they're film noir. So as you work right. your way through the fog, things are revealed out of the fog and you kind of had a feel for where you were in the city, but then something surprises you because it's not where it, it should be, where it belongs. And should I pay attention to that? Because it's, is it a distraction or is it a real, the concrete thing that you should worry about and just all of that he does so well yeah. and he has not only the the heroes he has people that are truly villainous because they're villains they like killing they they are they they you can't trust them they have betrayed again and again and you're just the latest sap like film noir you know kind of always there's yeah. always a femme fatale that a guy falls for and then gets it in the neck because he love can be used as a weapon as well as it can be a beautiful thing so I just can't recommend them highly enough that he did this body of work. And based on that, I know there's two Sin City movies, yeah, you know, yeah. Sin City and A Dame to Kill For that he worked on with Robert Rodriguez. And what a wonderful pairing because Rodriguez, if you know about him, he's always made movies where he does pretty much everything. He, he films it. He does the soundtrack. He edits it. It is Troublemaker Studios, right? Um, He's very much a, an auteur, a, a guy who's like the writer, director, artist, bottle washer, etc. And so him and Miller working on like whatever he did to make these Sin City movies, I hope they made a ton of mo money because Rodriguez is known for bringing in a $100 million movie only costing $15 million. <laughs> you know what I mean? He gets the stars you want. The, the casting is great. You know what I mean? He's got Bruce Willis in there and he's got uh, Mickey Rourke and stuff like that. Yeah but he stayed very true to what made the comic books good. And in fact, one of the things that makes the comic books good is they're very cinematic panel by panel. You could say that's exactly what the director would do right. to set up this shot. And then and have he the did. Long thing. Yeah, exactly. And so I just, 
I just added them both to my Netflix queue. They're not available anywhere that I could find streaming, so I had to put them on my DVD queue from Netflix. And I just, I've seen them before, and probably multiple times. And yet, of course, my appetite being re-wetted by having read the comic books, that's one of those things where it isn't a, a dissatisfying thing. You know, any number of movies have been, oh, not quite as good as the book or different than the book. And, yeah. and I just, I want to see that cool thing made in real life. I, I want to see, you know, the Toby Maguire as the, you know, the, the lookalike silent killer out on the farm. I don't think I'm doing any spoiler alerts or anything like right. that. It's old and enough. Man, I just, the, the, really good. <laughs> the things I really like about her, all the things you said. Um, I mean, it's, it's that fifties film noir, hard bitten, uh, cigar smoking hat. And, and exactly. even writes, guys. Yeah. You know I mean? And he like, writes that way in, in, in certain, the rhythm and cadence mostly uh he doesn't use all the over the top cliche words and stuff exactly but it has that feel and it doesn't like you said you're you're not insulted it starts right off and you've got to keep up and figure out what's going on and he doesn't overuse words i mean it's not like you know it's not like like watchmen good but i mean every panel is half full of words and i remember uh the uh, the Dark Tower series, Stephen King, there's just some amazing uh, artwork but by Jim Lee, and it's just fantastic. But then they cover it up with too many words. Crowded out by exposition instead yeah. of letting the... Yeah, I hear you. And, and Sin City <laughs> reminds me a lot of another one I love, The Crow from James O'Barr. Yes. The original black and white, there's a lot of story being told through the pictures. And I, I always love that. Yes. Yes. In fact, that one of the, the cool things, like, if you will, the laconic cowboy private eye hero of the 40s and 50s, he captures that so well. Yeah. You know, there's a scene where Marv and uh, his lady cop friend are trapped in a cell. And it's just, you know, horrible cinder block walls, like just near impregnable. But Marv just keeps on launching himself at this door. And they have a little cut panel where they show one of the rivets just cheek moving a little bit. And then they just show him again and again, you know, his stubborn persistence until finally the door gives way. And instead of him doing the comic book thing of, you know, arms up, oh my God, I did it. He just turns to her and goes, let's go. You know what I mean? He just, he, whatever it is of, there's a job to be done and there's no reason to delay from doing it. And I know it's going to be hard, but I'm still going to do it. That's so much like, wow, an American ideal compared yeah. to, so much of what's going on nowadays where everything is posturing and everything is, you know, I, I won an award when I'm 15 and that set me up for life. And it's, well, how about if you show a body of work over the course of 60 years and all of that, they're, they capture so many like deep American values, if you will, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, I know that he's been criticized for a, a, a little bit of misogyny, a little bit of ultraviolence and so forth, but you can't take it out of the context. If you're showing, you know, this, this world of tough guys, then women can't often compete on the basis of physical strength. So what do they learn to do? They learn to have wiles. They learn to wield weapons. They learn to be sneaky and tricky and smart. You know what I mean? So this big lug, this huge cannon, you don't have to stand in front of the cannon. You can aim the cannon where you want to, if you will. And he portrays that very well. The accommodations that the world has to make for the way, the way people are. You know, and it's not only women, it's like a little guy has to learn how to manipulate a big guy or he's going to be the little dog that just gets by the big dog. And, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, 
this you can't say any of this without somebody getting upset. Uh, so who cares anymore? But <laughs> and I'm not saying, oh, let's keep writing everything that put women down and put them in their of place at all. Of course not. But he's writing in a style that was kind of like that. That that fifties mm-hmm. hard boiled detective, they were it was, hey Dame, I'm the important one. I'm gonna save your life. That was what it was, for good or bad. So to change and do it completely different, the people that are interested in that style, it would feel jarring to them, and they wouldn't be like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, and I the say guy in the fifties wouldn't talk about his feelings, you know. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I, I say that because all the classes, all the books, all the other authors I've talked to, with all the writing stuff I've been doing, that. It's always know your genre, know your tropes and what the readers expect. And through years and years of books being sold, the more different your book is, the less people like it. The more your book is the same as everything else in your genre, the more they like it. Because they like certain tropes. They like certain actions. They like certain character types. Uh, So I'm saying Frank Miller might have done that, but he's not. That's not him saying, I hate women. I think women are weak. I think women need to be protected. Or he, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I wrote this story. <laughs> that, you know, right, And I think right. that's what people need to sometimes step back and realize. Uh, yeah. He can still do a story set in the modern world where it, it's a, a woman that's bigger, badder, better uh, than the men. And the men are you know, getting derided because of their old style thinking or whatever. Exactly. It, 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 it's sometimes you got to take that era. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, uh, uh, boy, I, as you might have, I don't know, on Facebook, I've just had a, a couple, a day long discussion, and a lot of interesting stuff was said. Um, and, and without rehashing all of it, because it's worth reading it or maybe not, um, a big part of what goes on for me is that acknowledging the existence of something is not promoting it. It's not saying, I like this. It's, if you see something that something terrible happens to a person, but then in the end, the bad guy gets justice, the person that was hurt is made whole, or, you know what I mean? There's there's a reason for people, life is about going through tough situations and having the resilience to come out the other side. And in some ways, it's not only avoiding those tough situations, because sometimes they can't be avoided, but it's thinking well, what would I do in that situation? How would I get through that terrible thing? And in the act of acknowledging its existence, you get to um, prepare yourself. You know, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm, I'm being, you know, punched to death by a biker gang. If I ever was, that I was, you know, an idiot, I have a sharp mouth, you know, I, even if I'm a big guy, I'm not as big as 10 other guys with chains. Right. What would I do? Would I, I have backed down in my life where I thought that the odds were sure not in my favor. But I also... When I saw somebody being bullied, something in me says, well, stand up for the little guy. Get in there and let him know that they're not alone. And if it turns out that we both take a weapon, at least they'll know they've been in a fight. And 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 from the lady's perspective, it is absolutely, I don't want horrible things to exist in the world. Nobody should, nope. ah. Nobody should be raped. Nobody should be under right. the threat of rape. No rapist should be able to use that coercion, that evil, in order to get what they want. And, and like, but acknowledging that there are predators out there and not letting yourself be a deer in the headlights should you bump into one, there has to be some value into that. It doesn't spoil your world by knowing it exists. 
very good point. I don't know. I, I, I hope that a lot of what we've talked about, about, you know, it was a cartoon that I shared that had, it was edgy. It had um, the, the humor was not only funny, it was about a, a, a guy being awkward with a pickup line at a bar. Yes. And, <laughs> and to me, it was, well, the guy's the one that's being made fun here. But of course, the, the cartoon very well portrays the shock on the woman's face, the, the terror that you feel when I'm all alone. This guy's behind me. He said something really like the, the, skeezy. the implied threat of rape, skeezy. The ick factor is huge. And some people want to say, don't, don't even show that. Don't, don't let that thing that might exist out there be seen because it might normalize it or other things. And that's kind of what I've been trying to say is, it, and, and I, I took a, a tough tack in terms of, well, it's not only, it's not only the threat, it's also the funny. And who's being made fun of? The idiot guy. You're not yeah. making fun it, of this it, terrible situation that the woman finds herself in. And in fact, humor is a lot of how you diffuse those situations. But, but it's also you mock the bad guy. I totally took it as more like a political humor that it's a commentary on today's society. It's not uh, saying Mm. much about the man or the woman or the situation or men being like this. To me, it was more a reflection of look at our society, wake up folks. And I agree with you that everyone's like, Oh, you shouldn't do that. It'll, you know, people accept it and blah, blah, blah. Well, but that's what we've been doing with these politicians that are getting away with so many things. And and we found out, and I, okay, I'm totally of two minds of this too, but we had this spate of the last couple of years of all these women coming out in Hollywood mostly that here's these guys in charge, producers, directors, actors. Right, that, the Weinsteins, the exact yes. terrible abuse of their power, their influence, yes. their hierarchy. Exactly. And, and, and you you hear the stories about it of these girls that go to Hollywood. Well, you know, if you want to get big, come with Casting me. Casting couch bullshit. Yes, exactly. Right, right. And all that. So for the longest time, that was all covered up and hidden. And then it started to come out. And that's a good thing because it does bring it to light. And if people wouldn't and people putting out cartoons about it, isn't making fun of the women, isn't making it's a reflection of the society. At least I would hope so. Uh, that's how right. I take it. But I would also point out that there are plenty of women taking advantage of the situation that they're looked upon as weak and vulnerable and lying to get men in trouble when there's never been a situation. And because of our the exact same thinking in our society, those women are totally believed from the get-go and the men are looked upon and their lives are ruined. I'm not saying every instance. I'm saying there are women that do that. And that's we we need to realize that as much as we need to realize the other situation, both sides. Yeah. It, it's funny. Uh, sadly, you know, this discussion really got um, tense because I really <laughs> kept trying to show I really do understand. I have empathy, understanding, and so forth, but there's other things going on here, and there is a certain amount of, but we don't want to hear about those other things. And so I somehow, because I value humor, because I value complexity, I I kept saying, but look at it from this way, etc. And then that got labeled like defensive or there's right. no there, it's mystifying how you could say something like that. And it's like, well, I'm trying to demystify it. it. It isn't that I'm trying to win the argument. This isn't an argument. It's a discussion. And I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm trying to say that there's more going on here. And then it's kind of funny. I also had another post about coincidences. 
You know what I mean? We laughed about you know so you don't often. Believe that was paranormal? Oh, I mean, I, I'm I'm you know insulted, I mean? Al. <laughs> when you when you hear a new word and then you hear it again three times, it's like the universe wants you to learn this word. It's like no, there's the bottom my half effect because you're seeing it more and now. You're aware of it, so you're aware and all that kind of stuff. But having said that, what did I have while this discussion was going on? Something along the lines of what you just said. Something appears in my feed that said. Here's a high school football star whose life was derailed because he was accused of rape. Six years after being in prison, the woman recanted and said, no, it was never true. So his life was not ruined. Hopefully he's still young enough that he can do other things. But whatever that high school, going to college, becoming a pro, whatever track, maybe he's now kind of aged out of the program, etc. None of that matters as much as a little bit of what you just said. It isn't one way or the other. It isn't that all women or men are virtuous or that they're all truthful or liars, that there's terrible complexity. You know, the problem with the war of the sexes is we keep sleeping with the enemy. Everybody is making use of whatever tools they have. And sometimes those tools aren't up and up. They're not a fair fight. They're, they're tricky. And they're, you can't know. There is ambiguity as to what's going on. And I so much didn't, having said that I saw this thing, I didn't throw that into the discussion because I wasn't trying to win the discussion. I wasn't right. trying to say, you can't trust women. I do trust women. I say that all the time. The number of times that women have been abused horribly, that they kept to themselves, that the rape kit was lost, that people didn't believe them because, oh, what were you wearing? What utter fucking bullshit. Yes. And yet, there are just enough cases of people accusing the lacrosse squad when it wasn't true or... You know right. what I mean? This this woman saying that she's been harassed when, boy, you investigate that a little bit, and it isn't exactly as black and white as you want it to. As you want it to be. You want it to be that this guy's shit, and she pointed it out how brave of her, and then you find out that maybe sometimes it's just not that way. Right. You and, know? And, so, and your uh, whole post <laughs> and everything. I mean, I, I know you. We're friends. I wouldn't ever think you're. Oh my God, Al thinks that way. No, but. Even like our paranormal discussion. Okay, you've got a different viewpoint than I do. We can talk about it without threats, without yelling, screaming. And <laughs> you must I'm, believe my way or you're no longer yeah, my friend. Okay, you well, know? <laughs> now I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to get online and ruin your life. And I'm going to spend so much of my life. It's like, folks, calm down and grow up. Okay, yeah. so here's a great example of this. And a slight bit of a rant, I guess, from me. So over the weekend at the, the Paracon, which was a really great time, I'd love for you to go to one of these, listen to the talks, talk to the people and read some of the books and see if it sways your thinking a little bit in some areas. I think that would be an interesting yeah. thing to see. It might be like going to the Creation Museum where I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Don't, please don't believe this. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> but there are some people like us that will talk about things. And you, you tend to be like, well, you know, if you like what you told me about the animals or whatever, okay, I can really tend to believe that because of your integrity. You know what I'm saying? And there are other people like that. That's, that's all. But here, here's my rant, I guess. So this was a pretty big conference. Several thousand people were there. Lots of great talks and yeah. great vendors and stuff. But the Ghost Brothers were there. I don't know if you know who they are. It's a trio of uh, black friends. Uh, that do ghost hunts and they even, they were on stage. They're freaking hilarious. It's a fun show to watch. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I believe hundred percent everything they show, but they're entertaining. If nothing entertaining else. as well yes. as science. Exactly. And they even stated up there. They're like, you know, we had this idea for a show. We, we did some on our own and showed people. And basically what they got in Hollywood TV producers, whatever you want to say 
was, well, that's great, but black people don't hunt ghosts. And they're like, we know, but so, but that, that shows the society. And I understand this part of it. You know, we're not going to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in a show that nobody's going to watch because white people aren't going to watch it and black people don't want to watch it. So, you know, but this is what they, they, they said right on stage. This is what they dealt with. Well, now they're extremely popular and these guys are hilarious. So let me put this in context. They were three black guys on stage talking about their show, talking about the ghost hunts. They get along great. It's kind of like watching the Wayans brothers. If you want to think of that. Okay. Do they riff on each other? They really know oh, each God, other. Well. Yes. yes. Hell exactly. yeah. Okay. The audience was 100% white. I don't think I saw another black person attending this conference except for those three. But those three and every person there acknowledged that and was goofing around and kidding with it. It's, you know, the same thing I said that if I was over at your guys' house while we were growing up and we played Mario Brothers and we were friends, we went to the same school, we we wrecked our bikes and got bloody elbows and stuff here, (laughs) we'd be friends and you see this with kids, they don't notice what color people are. It's just their friends. That's, That's exactly what right. the feeling was here, that there wasn't anybody I could tell that was like, oh my God, they're ruining everything because they let black people into this. It wasn't that at all. And they were on stage making these comments. They're like, you know what? We're still trying to understand all you white people out there. And everyone laughed because it wasn't a racist comment. It was, we are black and you are white. There's differences and it's fun. So- I t- in fact, the one was talking about his wife and he's like, yeah, no, no ghost has ever followed me home. Cause my wife be like, boo, what do you mean? Some other boo? I'm your only boo. And we were dying. And I told him, I said, man, I get it because you see this woman here. And I pointed to my wife, she looks white, but she channels a black woman quite often. And he laughed and fist bumped me because, you know, That's okay. Funny. So I told Gene on the way home, I said, I, I think more people need to understand this. Because they made a comment that the first couple episodes of their show, the producers sent them to a slave plantation to do a haunt, sent them to a railroad, uh, underground railroad haunted place. And then they wanted to do a haunted prison. And they said, well, why don't we handcuff you guys and put you in the cell and see if that, they're like, hold on. Let's talk really, about Talk this. about like embracing the stereotype. Oh, versus- God, yes. Oh, yeah. man. So they talked about that. And I was telling Gene on the way home, and this was my thinking. I'm like, this was a good conference in that because it didn't matter what they were, that they were black or white. Everyone was having a great time. And the thing Saturday night, they were doing like a match game thing. And the MC was gay and he's on Kindred Spirits, Adam Barry. He totally embraces it. And he was making jokes and laughing about it. Everybody else was. The one ghost hunter black guy was there. There were women on stage. There were white guys. So it was a mixture. And one of the questions uh, said, so I guess the ghost hunters, the ghost brothers, I haven't watched them. Their big um, catchphrase is, all right, pop the trunk, meaning let's get the equipment out and go ghost hunt. So the one match game question was, uh, after the hunt, you're going to the party and you're going to pop blank. And it was in reference to that. Well, the whitest white guy on the stage said, pop a cap in your ass and everybody lost it. And the ghost brother was laughing. Right. right. And I'm like, that's what we need in our country. We need to be able to make those jokes. He was a, a, I mean, dear God, if he didn't grow up in the white Christian neighborhood background and and never a black friend, and he can say this without the black guy standing up and arguing, get mad. That's what we need folks move past these problems. And I said, what I see is the thing we need is 
all the black, everybody needs to remember the slave situation was 200 years ago. So the black people need to quit looking at the white people as the slave masters. And the white people need to quit looking at the black people as slaves. That was not us. That was 200 years ago. But How long though, are we going to milk that terrible joke? 200 yes, idiot let's, years? Let's exactly. look at today's society. And the, the weekend was perfect. But right. even more importantly, the black people need to quit looking at themselves as slaves and the white people need to quit looking at themselves as the masters. That's I even more you. important. And I yeah. saw that this weekend. Nobody was like, well, this should still be the 1850s. See, yeah. it, it wasn't that at all. And it was such a good time. Oh, my God. Dean Haglund did a comedy thing. And I think Gina Peter pants. She was laughing so hard. She could not breathe. We, it was just so good. And then the match game thing with, you know, a gay guy, a black guy and white uh, man and a bunch of women. I mean, it, it was, right. and yet it, it worked instead of it being tension, tension, tension. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. It was so funny. And That's it was so heartening it, to hear, you yeah. know what I mean? That it really, and I so much, I agree with you and hope for that, 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 there, that kind of humor where everybody gets to like acknowledge that there are differences, but it's not a matter of a war. Good Lord. It's a matter of kind of joking about it. Yeah. Um, so, so much of what's been going on all through the country and not, of course, my silly last thing that I went through, but people have lost that weird sense of proportion that it's yes, no dichotomous thinking, cancel culture. There's all And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to beat you over the head. What right. The, the, the response is not just, I disagree, but, I'm going to expunge that from the record. I'm going to kill you if you right. say it. I mean, there's all kinds of overreactions to it. And that's kind of what I often try to say is you, you have to maintain some, some balance, some equilibrium, that not every joke is an attack. A, a good thing that came out of the discussion was punching up versus punching down, that there's different kinds of humor. And actually, you know, gosh, I've been to the humor colloquium. I know all about this, but I didn't want to argue from authority of, hey, I'm a funny guy, so I know all about humor. I've, I've read humor books, so I know, no, it was just trying to show and explain examples, if you will, of, I get about punching up and punching down, and that there really is, just as there's systemic inequities in our society, systemic racism, systemic sexism, and those kinds of things have to be removed. But the, the way to do that is not only through destruction and um, arch huge single solutions that there's nuance to how you talk about it, how you make progress mm -hmm. towards it, who your your allies and your opponents are, and that there is indeed ambiguity there. There's all kinds of silver-tongued people that they're really good at saying an ugly thing in a nice way and getting you to laugh at an ugly thing. And and I, I don't want that. I don't want it to be that the, the worm tongues of the world have a way of framing the world in a way that Racists get to maintain their racism. Sexists get to maintain that. But you can't take everything, every single statement like that. You have to consider the source. You have to consider that there, I, another thing I tried to mention was don't always explain through malice what could also be explained through stupidity. Some people are just clumsy and clueless. Some people don't know what they're doing. They heard a joke and then they butcher it when they try to retell it or they just, whatever it is, there's nuance going on there and don't, Keep so open to mind that your brain falls out, but there has to be room for you, you. You can't be certain from minimal information, looking into that person's soul, reading so much, if you will, from a cartoon, um, taking so, everything at what you say is face value and obvious to everyone, 
Because in the minute that someone says, well, that's not how I saw it, that's not how I thought about it, that then they're the enemy as opposed to, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And there's a certain amount of that I, I have tried to be, I, I get, boy, I, I kind of knew that going in, but I really see that this is skeeving some people out, and I get that. But kind of all I wanted was someone to say, and I can see what you're saying too, that there is yes. power and value and humor, that even if it's you don't want to laugh, you can acknowledge why somebody else would find that funny, and they haven't joined the other team. They haven't turned into an evil guy that, ha ha, here's someone threatening someone with rape. No, it was making fun of the Muslim culture of 72 virgins. It was making fun of this guy who's dressed like one of the, the who, what were the brothers the, 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 on Saturday Night Live, you know, the wild and crazy. You know what I mean? They, the cartoonist, I thought, and we didn't talk to the cartoonist to find out what their intent was, but there was enough going on in this simple cartoon that you could approach it from different ways. And a lot of people, when they only got a hammer, when they only got one way of viewing it, <laughs> when they really are just their first look is all that they can see, I, I, I hope better for them. I know that's a very patronizing way to say it, but I think that their life will, really will be better if they start to appreciate nuance, that they're not immediately a stimulus response machine, that if I want to get their goat, all I got to do is say something foolishly yeah. sexist, and, and they bristle. It's like, there's there, for, for the other people that did laugh, they, they've got kind of a more, I don't know, resilient maybe is a word. They take in more information and they think of more things. And I think it is sometimes important to be firm in your beliefs, but to go to that kind of fanatic or absolutist thing, I don't know that any of them went there, but there were, there's enough of that, that that's how the argument was going, that it was like, well, this is like arguing with any fanatic. It's not, there's no kind of getting through. I often use the term unreachable. Even when I tried to be gentle, explanatory, multiple things, I just didn't seem to be getting through. And there's nothing wrong with them. It was a failure in my powers of communication. Some of them I kind of pride myself on, but somehow I couldn't find the thing that would let them say, okay, I, I guess maybe. They, they couldn't even give me a maybe. They couldn't give me the one in well, a hundred. And that's like, wow. So that's why you're helping me learn you. Really, one out of a hundred. One out of a hundred. You can't give me that this might be funny. And, like, and, there's, and in the face of proof, there are the people that found it funny. And some of them are ladies. And so it isn't only about you. It isn't only about your perceptions. You really could look around and say, what does the whole world think? I get that you hate it. I get it. And yet it isn't about you. It isn't right. that you're the only thing in the world. I would so not say it's, it's your family. It's so tough. And I like some of these are my friends. I don't want to alienate them. I don't want them to think I've gone over to the other side. But I also don't want to be, oh, you yelled at me and I backed off. Because it isn't about power. It isn't about you telling me what I can't Winning or losing. It is about there's there's such an opportunity for a discussion here that instead of immediately everybody getting on each side of the chasm and yelling and throwing and shooting arrows at each other, it's like, we might be able to talk about this. And that's kind of what I kept hoping for. And yet I, I wasn't successful with certain people. And yet there's other people that I was successful with. They did chime in with... Here's, here's what I got out of that. Here's what I think. So well, I hope it was worth it. You know, for that, the amount of time and love and thought that went into this, I think it was worth it. I, 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 I kind of hope that. I, I am always hopeful. I'm always optimistic that I, talking matters. That, that <laughs> you know? really, I wouldn't say it's your failing at all. There are just some people that 
they can't be open-minded. They can't be mature and have a discussion. They can't look at something that goes against their thoughts and viewpoints without just immediately you're wrong and I'm going to hit you with a brick. Uh, you know, that's the, so there's nothing you can do. And, and again, bringing it back to the weekend with the paranormal, you know, we, we've, we, we, the ones that know, know things will say any picture, any video you capture will never prove that any of this exists. Because that's not proof in these days of deep fake. And even, even before. It, it will never prove that they exist just from a picture or a video. And people that are skeptics won't even be convinced that it's a possibility, no matter what the picture or video is. Uh, it, it still is potential evidence. It still creates a conversation and makes you think, wow, I, I don't understand what that is. I don't know. And the ones that are respected the most have that type of thinking and attitude. And I know. Uh, any topic that you and I might discuss, we're going to discuss it. I'm never going to see a topic that either of us brings up that the other's like, wait a minute, you're a freaking moron and yeah. I hate you. Click. This is it. And that's final. Exactly. No, there, there's, there's gray areas. There's wiggle room. There's other parts of the topic. There's no topic. That's a single vertical slice. There's so many parts to it. And that's why we go off on tangents all the time. Because yeah. anything, you know, we can bring up Sin City and talk about the movie, talk about the artwork, talk about that it's seven books by one man, talk about the story. Right. You know, there's different aspects of it. <laughs> so. I think one of the things that it's kind of funny, I, I, I tried to bring in not only to this, but to many other discussions. It isn't only whether something's true or not. It's how would you know? You talk about right. what the burden of proof might be. You talk about, is it like if, if it's on the internet? Is it from an original source? Is the person that said it canny enough to be able to differentiate between this and that and the other thing? Is there expertise involved? Is there um, lots of people saw it and their accounts match? You know, there's multiple ways, like the courts have worked on it. Science has worked on it. There's all ways to do it. And when someone presents something that isn't any of those ways, that is not from a known non-reputable source, that's like, a video that's meant to be emotional and persuasive, but not factual, you kind of have to point that out too. You know what I mean? Like you you need to up your standard of proof so that you don't get so easily buffaloed. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's sad that this really is sufficient for you because it's not sufficient. And let's talk about, you know, ontology and how do we know what we know and what, what how, what's the limits of our senses. And that's a whole big discussion, but that's where all these things stem from is, even our brains play tricks on us. Even our senses play tricks on us. Absolutely. And yet, even knowing that, you don't then say, well, then nothing is knowable. No, here's the methods for how you can get past individual perception, individual, do what I mean? Yeah. It's what science is all about. Not only did I see this, but could I recreate it? And could I prove it to others that everything was controlled for? And the best, and maybe the only explanation for what's going on here is this, and people that just stop at, uh, it's my own personal life experience. That's the only thing that I believe in. Like you just kind of said, never mind the enlightenment, never mind how we got past witnessing to science, to, to shared knowledge that can be proven to be true or not. Right. Wow. I mean, that's such a different worldview and some part of why I think the world is sliding back 
is because there really are people that are determined to not say there's value in science. Oh, they thought this and then they went this way. So there's nothing to it. It's like, no, see, that's how science works. Right. It learns more. It accommodates that. It changes its mind. It does the best with the available information. And you know what it also does? Keeps looking. It doesn't say, I figured it out and I'm done. It keeps saying, well, what about, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's and, always and, questioning and always bearing because, up under the scrutiny of it. <laughs> right. Because of the whole paranormal this weekend at the Paracon, in this community, there are people that will look at a picture and go, look, see right there, that shadow, it's a full, it's a full body apparition. It's a ghost. It's like, it kind of looks like a piece of dust on the lens, you know? And that's, that's again, you can't prove it. You can't just look at something and say, oh, this proves ghosts exist. No, it doesn't. Right. Um, and so it, how do they try in paranormal world? They do it with instrumentation. They yeah. do it with better and better cameras and sound and energy meters. It, they do it with personal, like not only I saw this, but the whole group of people saw something. Yes. So it, I mean, it's along the lines of what I'm saying. It's, it, 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 you know, it, they're trying to some, prove that. Yeah. And that's why I like to say it's potential evidence rather than people yeah. saying it's evidence to the paranormal. It's potential. And I go along the lines of, Paranormal doesn't just mean ghosts and Bigfoot. It could mean just weirdness, like the coincidence with the, the fire opals. That's, That's right. weirdness. Now, is it paranormal? <laughs> yeah, you know, not necessarily with that term, but it's weirdness. You put right. It's Ripley's Believe It or Not more than uh, Ghost Hunters, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the, the, the funny thing is, and me and Gina will laugh about this all the time. She says, I, I don't get this about the paranormal community. Because you will get people that go, yeah, Bigfoot's out there. I've seen – you hear people saying, I've seen them and I've heard them. Oh, can you prove it? Well, no. Well, okay. Well, that's enough for them. See? that Exactly. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but then they'll turn around and say, but ghosts don't exist. Well, how can you say Bigfoot does? But And the ghost people are like, yeah, UFOs and Bigfoot are stupid, but ghosts are real. And we laugh about this. It's like you can't prove either of them right now, but, you know. Yeah. I know I've complained about this before. I have such a high hypocrisy meter of like, you know, use the same things in your life and you don't get to pick and choose. You have to kind of be consistent in in what you think and how you think. And then when you see that, when you see someone that, you know, I really, I know I've seen Bigfoot, but ghosts are like, like, what's the basis for that? How do you get me? Convince me. How, how would you do that? And it, it's not going to just because with foam at the corner of your mouth, the certainty of what you're saying should be enough because there's all kinds of charlatans. There's all kinds of crazies. There's all kinds certain fields, especially are rife with, well, if I can prove that I saw a UFO, I get to be on TV. I'd love to be on TV. And so proof becomes not yeah, only yeah. a lie, but the lie with enough detail so that it's not easily discounted because they've looked into it and they could see what's the, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Another reason that science is cool is because it doesn't depend on the fervor of the scientist. It depends on peer review. It depends on lots of other people with the same standards and proving it each in their own way and then saying, yep, that checks out. And as much as there are charlatans, that charlatans don't get anywhere near as easy a, 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 a go through in science because there is peer review. Whereas, you know, there's lots of charlatans in the political field, the religious field, the, the paranormal field. And that the same standards aren't applied. And so they get to have a pretty successful freaking career on the basis of the force of their personality, the depth of their yeah. belief, or at least how they've learned to fake that. <laughs> you know see, what I mean? So see, for, for um, us, 
uh, me, Colin, Gina, and Ron doing the podcast, we've talked about it and we're like, we aren't trying to prove any of this paranormal stuff exists because we won't. We can spend forever and we'll never prove it uh, in our whole lifetime. But we enjoy investigating, looking into, talking about researching the weirdness, the things that are different. And we talk about stuff, not just Bigfoot and ghosts, but <laughs> we, we try and talk about like, you know, the coincidences and the breaks in the matrix or, you know, ran, random other things. So that's more interesting to me. Just, just, you know, reading Ripley's Believed or Not uh, type thing. Right. If it, you know, an another thing that I said was, you know, if you go through a whole bunch of life and you read, then you already have lived far outside your own life. You've yeah. lived a thousand lives in the various different characters and worlds and places and times and whatever else it might be. And some part of you asking yourself, who would I be in that situation? How would I act? It's given you that little bit of preparation for it. And so just, you know, in taking yourself outside yourself, I know there's also, if you will, studies that say readers are more empathic. They do find it more easily to put themselves in somebody else's place because they practiced it. Every time that they inhabit a character in a book, that's exactly what they're doing is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And so when I find out that someone doesn't do that, that they're not much of a reader or that it isn't that they're incapable of it, but it's like, wow, the, the easiest, clearest time honored path is that, and you didn't take it. So how did you develop empathy? And, and, and again, that's a poor standard of proof, but it, everybody does a lot of reacting to the world, um, decision-making based on fuzzy information on inadequate information and I am much less willing to believe that somebody is empathic if what they've read is one book or if they've read no books or if they don't seem to even speak in those terms. I see what you're saying. I, I hear you. I get you. That, that it's only about I statements or about, you know, the conversation that they've had with a supreme being or whatever else it might be. That's suspect to me. There's kind of a package. Some, someone also just said, you know, Assholes usually aren't assholes in just one area. They're assholes in general. And I think that's true, too. People that are like, name the neurotic or psychotic or sociopathic characteristics. And often the dark triad is the triad, not the one. They are narcissistic. They are manipulative. They are, they, they're, you can see that they have skills that they apply in any number of situations that are not good skills, but they've gotten really good at reading other people so that they can abuse them. They've gotten really good at um, uh, fooling themselves so that they, they don't have anywhere near the um, imposter syndrome. They think they deserve every single thing that's coming to them, even, even if there's no evidence to that. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't start life on third base and think you almost hit a homer. You know what I mean? That's a famous quote from Molly Ivins, if I remember correctly, you know? And so being able to identify that about kind of the quality of the person that you're talking to, where they come from and what, how believable they are. It's not that hard to get that out of 15 minutes of conversation out of, and we often laugh about this out of playing games with them. You know what I mean? Right, when, when, right. <laughs> there's Game. all kinds of ways that if you're trying to be perceptive, not just not gullible, that's not the right word, but just not only taking things at face value, but what's the question behind the question, what's really going on here Another thing that books train you to do is they you don't just listen to conversations. They give you a look at the interior life of people. They'll share, here's what this person was thinking and why they did it and stuff like that. Yeah. And you get, again, training in that. So 
practice doesn't necessarily make perfect, but it sure makes it that your chance <laughs> of getting skilled in those things so much better. You know, who's going to step up to home plate never having swung a bat before and hit a home run? I, <laughs> you know, most people, it's because they've been swinging the bat since they were four and seen a whole bunch of pitchers in ballparks yep, and sun yep. and whatever else. That's who I trust to do that skilled thing. Right. Oh, well. <laughs> so, all right, before we go, I got a couple of things for you. Trivia okay. of the week. Here we go. Let's see if you right. know this actor name. Do you know <laughs> oh. who Butch Patrick is? He was uh, um, on the Adams Family, the the youngest, the child. What was his yeah. name? Um, Eddie Munster. Eddie Munster. Eddie. Eddie, exactly. Eddie. So yep. I got he there, was at the Paracon. Uh, he That's was there. Cool. So I got to meet him. <laughs> and you know that uh, Netflix, uh, somebody is coming out with a Munsters remake. I just uh, read that. Only yeah. In fact, someone was saying... What did you want? The Munsters or the Adams family or, you know, like, who, what did you want remade? And the Munsters really seems to be like 70% of the world has affection for that yeah. as compared to the others. You know right. what I mean? So, I, so I would like to see that. So, All of right. course, you know, I had to ask him. I'm like, so are you involved in some way? Are you going to be on it, a cameo in some way? He goes, right. Uh, with my NDA, I can't say anything. I said, well, you had to sign an NDA. So that tells me something. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> so there you go. Um, oh, and then the other thing up at this uh, casino, we talk about music. So here's my music of the week. Um, okay. There was a, they have a whole lot of bands coming up and they had a poster that I went, oh my God. And they have Prong coming out. Um, this was hmm. a heavy metal band I discovered in the early 90s. I believe they're Polish. Um, okay. And oh, I don't know they, anything about them. They're right. still around. And I was like, wow, prong is still, and I, I like prong. It's a little different heavy metal. I don't know. Something about it was just very catchy to me. So yeah. there's my music recommendation of the week is prong. Uh, <laughs> I believe they're Polish, uh, which you don't get a lot of Polish heavy I'm metal. Into them. Right. Yeah. As you know, nowadays you pop out to Spotify, Amazon, et cetera, and you can find virtually everything. Yeah. I, I will say this fun fact. They actually had a whole documentary about theirs. There's a heavy metal band called Anvil that's been around yeah. for 50 years yeah. that never made it, right? They continue And everybody to tour. knows them. All the right. big guys they, know They do them. clubs and small and, and that kind of stuff, but they've never made it. I've actually seen them. They came oh, wow. to um, the Agora, the Beachland Ballroom on Thank Trans I think it was the Beachland. And it was like, I got to see this semi-legend. And they right. really were solid yeah, four bar, are. rock and roll, screaming guitar solos, long hair, the whole thing. But just what they said is true. There wasn't a single memorable song. There wasn't something that I went home and said, that's their stairway. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's, that's their, it just was their good crunchers and they have all the trappings, but they just don't seem to have whatever the luck and whatever the spark was that made them, here's the next big thing. There you go. It, it, you don't have to be a big superstar. You can just be adequate for 50 years and that'll be right. just as good. <laughs> By virtue of longevity, you are a legend. Exactly. Right. Uh, all right. All right. One more thing before we go. Uh, here's our geek tip of the week. And this is something okay. I've been doing. So uh, on Google Calendar, I'm sure a lot of people use Google Calendar, whether they're main calendar or just side things. Right. But you can add multiple calendars. So you can run different calendars with different colors and look at them. Okay. And what I've done is created an activity calendar. And then whenever we're on Facebook and we uh, click on like interested, you can go to your events in Facebook and it'll list all the things you're interested. And then you can export it to an ICS file and import it into your activity calendar. See, that's and, very handy. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. what we've done is on our phone, we sync up with the activity calendar, but we have it turned off. Uh, so it doesn't clutter. But then we're right. like, hey, what's going on next weekend? What do we want to do? We turn it turn on. Turn it back on. We can see what's coming up and what's what we might want to do. Very cool. 
That's, so that's, a, that's a great tip. Okay. Tip of the week. All right, All man. Right. Take care. Always a pleasure. See you yep. in a week. See okay. you in a week. Later. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.